0: Three, two, one. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am very, very excited to bring to you the first ever LinkedIn Live performance with Kieran Warwick from Alluvium coming in all the way from Australia. Kieran, how are you doing today, buddy? Yeah, not too bad, Anthony, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. It's late here in Portugal. It's early for you out there in Australia, but thank you so much for making the time. We're gonna be talking about Web3 and blockchain games, a topic very close to my heart. We'll start off though with a quick introduction. Kieran, from starting off as a youngster wanting to be a professional tennis player to then being a retail franchisee, to going on and creating one of Australia's most popular burger apps, which has possibly the most food porn-esque Instagram page I've ever seen in my life, to then deciding, you know what, nope, I'm going to go and build a blockchain-based game platform and it's going to be the most epic of all time. How on earth did you find yourself here?
1: I've been interested in blockchain for a long time. Like uh, I, I think I first got into it in uh, 2016, and uh, it actually came from a, surprisingly a business that I didn't start. It was uh, our eldest brother Kane who started it, and uh, it was a, a company that basically uh, built a platform that allowed people to to go into retail stores and turn your digital good, uh, sorry, turn your physical fiat into digital goods, right? And we randomly had this uh, Bitcoin company come to us and say, hey, we want people to be able to come into your stores and use your platform and convert. I think uh, at this time it was something like, hundred bucks or something maybe maybe a little bit more maybe 500 bucks at at the time uh into one bitcoin and i was like well that's a weird concept but you know what why why not and so that's uh so we ended up signing them and uh, they're still a partner of that platform and uh but but that gave me exposure to bitcoin and i'd always loved investing and so from there i went what other projects are uh, on the blockchain. And, uh, you know, this is this innovation is is huge. And so I started researching, and then I found Ethereum. And so, you know, I've been an early investor in Ethereum. And so I was always into it. But uh, I got absolutely wrecked on uh, on ETH back in the day. And so uh, I essentially I, I left and started that food platform that you were talking about. And then, uh, back in 2020, uh, Kane again said, look, you got to come back that, you know, it's, uh, it's, the, there's a bull run now. And I was like, what is a bull run? Like all this kind of stuff. And, uh, I started investing. I made a whole bunch of money, but for me, I was it's the entrepreneur in me was you know, investing's good, made a bunch of money, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't enough. And so I started looking for a platform that I could build myself. And it was originally going to be a DeFi platform, right? The they GameFi didn't exist. And then I found uh, a game that made with NFTs. And I was like, oh my God, what, what would happen if we merged, you know, DeFi and, gaming together. And that's when we created this, uh, this GameFi model. And I went to uh, my two other brothers, Aaron and Grant, and we just kicked it off. It's obviously a very,
0: very different experience going from being a trader to being an operator, right? You know, you've, you've actually gone from that and now, now you have created something yourself.
1: It's, yeah, it's pretty crazy, right? Like blockchain or, you know, web three in general is very transparent, right? Like it's, it's one of the only things in the world where if you want to get to the head of that organization, they're literally a discord message away, right? And so you, I saw it from one side of the fence where I was a, a pretty large investor. So from the from the founding team's perspective it was wise to to at least hear me out and listen to my feedback on hey this is what i think you guys need to do but that's a very weird situation right like you can't just pick up the phone and call elon musk and so i knew what it was like on the other side and then when i became a uh a founder myself i was like okay now i've got all these people coming to me and they're like you should do this this and this and i was like oh my god now i actually get it i see <laughs> i see what i the pain that i put on those people and uh and so yeah it's uh, it's a pretty surreal but uh but humbling experience i'll say that
0: Also, it's a very, very different management style. It's a very different communication style, but you guys are honestly crushing it. And the amount of recognition, the amount of quality and the amount of output you guys have put out in the last 12 months is is unreal. But before we get into that, for those people who don't know, who haven't come across Illuvium, who are relatively new to GameFi, if you could give us the genesis, the brief backstory of what is it you guys are trying to do with gaming, with GameFi and with Illuvium specifically, because there's a lot of, NFT-based, ownership-based, buy a token, get a thing. People have seen Axie Infinity come and go, you know, have great success and then fall off. You guys are doing it differently. So t- tell us about how and why.
1: Yeah, so, so fundamentally, the technology is what drew us to, uh, to blockchain, right? Like verifiable ownership of assets inside of games, through the use of nfts is what brought us here and made us think okay what if instead of uh publishers having control and it being uh, assets being stored on servers that you know at, at any point something could happen that changes the the course of the game or whatever what if we utilized these NFTs and gave power to the gamers and said, if you go and buy an asset or if you go and grind in the game and, and get yourself this super powerful sword or shield or whatever, you own that and you own that forever. Uh, and, and so that, that was what drew us to NFT gaming. But there just wasn't anyone doing it to the level that we were used to. Right? Like it was, it, it was very, very early on when we started, and you could barely call them indie games, right? Like there was thousands of of these games inside of mainstream. You'd go onto Steam and you would find the exact same games, but we decided, and it was uh, it was actually my brother Grant who who wanted to to go down this path. He was like, the only way I'm going to do this is if we do it triple a right and and really create not just a awesome economic model that gave ownership over to the players but a fun game at the at the very very core of it we needed people to to want to play the game and then the earning the that passive income that potentially comes with it is a ancillary benefit to that experience that you have when you jump in and you have fun and you go you know what in 10 years i'll still own my characters or pokemon or whatever you think and uh and so yeah that's uh, that's what we we were really drawn to and how that connects into the interoperability is you're able to to build out your ip in a way that when you're creating these different games, instead of you telling your, your uh, audience that, or your players that you need to go and buy another game and another game and another game, you simply take your assets from one game and you port them into the second game. So in our case we've got three titles that uh that that we've uh just released in uh, in private form the first one is alluvium zero that's a city based uh idle clicker that's where you get the fuel that is required for the overworld now the overworld is a game that's more akin to uh pokemon where you're going around there's a whole bunch of creatures for you to capture but you need that fuel from that first game, right? So you don't have to play them all together, but you can if you, if, if you want to. So then after you go into the ogre world and you start capturing these creatures, that's when you can go into our third game and that's when you start battling them, right? And, and so you don't need to buy a new game. You don't need to spend any additional money. You literally can take these things from one game to another and that type of interoperability has never been possible if you think about like a mario type universe you're taking what your mario from your mario kart into your super smash brothers and your mario party and it's just it's just this new way of thinking about gaming
0: Nice. I really like that. And again, you, it's it's free to play, right, to start with. But yeah. you could have somebody who just decides to idle click a bunch of fuel and then they could go onto the marketplace, sell that fuel and say, you know what? I made I don't know, five bucks, ten bucks just from clicking around. I really enjoyed the idle mechanic. I had a bit of fun and then somebody else can, can benefit from having that fuel that I've earned in, yep. in my in my efforts and I can go I can go on my way. Right. But then you know, if they want to take it to a level further, like, you know what, I want to explore this. I like the idea of the the kind of the the creature hunt, the kind of MMORPG going around and kind of exploring the overworld. And and I might do that. I might try and play in an expansive world. And then then finally, for the for the competitive players out there, right, the guys who want to do it for the for the love, for the wins, then you can get to the next level and say, I want to be top of the leaderboard or I want to have you know the most points or whatever else it is. That's all still free to play to an extent, but, you know, you're, you're taking, you're taking the same items, but you're allowing them to have progress or progression. Correct.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And so how as a gaming company, do you guys make that work then? Because I, I think some of the concern around traditional gaming companies is, yeah, that that's cool. I get it. There's tokens and so on, but we really like the idea of being paid up front for the game. It's predictable, right? You know, how many, how many things you've sold, how much it's going to be, how many units go off the shelf. You do some forecasts, you predict how much it's going to cost to dev and build the game. And then you're like, okay, that goes into the spreadsheet and we launch it, spend some money on marketing and off we go. With you guys, it's very different, right?
1: Absolutely. But think about it like free to play. So when free to play was first introduced, there were publishers who were up in arms, right? They, They were like, you don't understand how gaming works and I was speaking to John Cavanaugh uh, from Heroes of Might and Magic the other day, and he was one of the pioneers of free to play. And he actually came from a background of make a game, you got to buy it online, or you got to go into a store and you got to buy that. And he's a, a, a very forward thinker. And when free to play came out, he was a massive advocate for that. But there was so much backlash. It was. From, from gamers themselves, from, uh, from publishers, it was just such a new concept and people were like, how are you going to make money from that? And the answer was, get people addicted to the gameplay, to the IP that you're creating, make them love it so much that they will end up paying for things like cosmetics, right? Which fundamentally don't change the balance of the game at all, but a kid that is sitting at home playing his mates in a eight person battle Royale. If he drops down in the plane with a super cool Superman skin or whatever it might be, and all his mates don't have that he's flexing on them and he can say, yeah, I paid 20 bucks for that. My mom just gave me the money or whatever it is, but that's how they started to to monetize these free-to-play games and they worked out that once you get people if you lower that barrier to entry and make it effectively zero then you're going to get so many more people that are exposed to your game and once they're exposed to the game there's the potential of them loving it getting addicted to it and then that's when you can start monetizing these players so similarly we have the same concept right it's free to play alluvium then there are the the paths that you can take where you can start spending money if you enjoy the game you can spend money and you have the potential to recuperate that money potentially right but at the end of the day we're building a suite of games like different to how i would say web 3 and and blockchain games have done it in the past where it's all about get in first, make your money, try and sell it on people and get out and then move on to the next one. We're building a very sustained economy. And uh, the idea is that there's going to be people there that don't care about earning money. It's just about, I love playing this game. It's super amounts of fun. And you're going to have a ideally once we launch a a balance of people that are extracting from the economy and then people that are adding to the economy with things like cosmetics right like we have skins in the game we have all sorts of things that you can do to to make things faster and a better experience and so you just need to find that balance but at the very very core it has to be fun to play otherwise you lose in the long run
0: i hear you and in fairness a lot of the early web 3 games were kind of a fancy slightly crappy pixelated zelda front end on DeFi mechanics right y- yield farming with Experiment. Link. <laughs>
1: right? yeah yeah and and you know that has again when you look at i, I was again speaking with with john about this because i was fascinated i was like so Like, what do you think here there's so much backlash with nfts like and the crazy part to me is the players are the ones who have the advantage right like if you say to someone here's a a version of pokemon and you go around you spend hours and hours and hours and you capture these creatures and you never own them versus Here's another version of Pokemon where you spend hours and hours and hours going around capturing these creatures, except now you own them and you can potentially go and sell them. If there's someone on the other side of that marketplace, that's like, I don't want to spend the hours doing that. I just want to be able to go and battle them. You can go and sell them and potentially make a profit. What do you think, like, which game do you think the gamers are going to gravitate more towards it's obvious but we're sitting here and if you look online if you look at EA if you look at Blizzard if you look at all these big publishers the minute they even mention NFTs it's like no absolutely not this is terrible if you do we're we're boycotting your company and any game that you bring out in the future and I think that negative connotation will uh will disappear over time it's just that nfts have been associated with fundamentally mediocre games right like games that you couldn't recommend to friends yeah i think that's a part of it and i think from a gamer's
0: perspective also they're they're assuming then the the more you tokenize or the more you assetize the things that are in game the more you may perpetuate the, the the pay to win meta Right? Which is already there in a lot of in a lot of games anyway. Any right. game that has V Bucks, any game that has FIFA points, already has a, a pay-to-win meta. So you're not going to change that with NFTs. What you're going to do is you're going to create content that can exist in perpetuity, where either indie creators or the existing creator can allow those assets to exist or, or to morph or to move into different experiences, which is what you're describing, right? You've got NFT or tokenized assets that can move as fuel from one one zone to another or one game to another you can have characters that can go from being uh, pokemon in a battle arena to being skins in a mario kart style game or something Absolutely. like that yeah, which yep. which when it's when it's when those assets can move and be accepted and owned in a wallet you you create a more interesting floor or arena for game developers to create things around if if there's a big community there it might, it might not happen yet because i think it's very very early but there were some examples of a few indie games working together with engine about 3 or 4 years back where they they had 15 developers and they had 20 nfts and and those game those those assets could move between games now it didn't work at the time because the gas gas fees on ethereum were too expensive and so the whole thing didn't make any sense to the user because it was too expensive to move the things around yeah but but early on it showed that a consortium of indies could actually create some interest or some kind of loyalty amongst those gamers because one could be a tower defense one could be an mmorpg one could be a battle arena one could be um, a strategy or an idle game but what you're doing is you're giving assets to gamers who then because those assets can be used elsewhere allows them to go and play games or be drawn towards games that maybe they would never otherwise have played and for for the indie title guys that's great because that's more players that's more demand that's more interest so I, th- I think there's an emerging story there, but unfortunately, some of the early representations of Play to Earn or you know, Axie Infinity being a way that people could do gaming for a living, unfortunately, is misrepresenting what the actual potential is of this of of, of using digital assets around gaming. I don't think it's necessarily around um, being able to earn a living through gaming. I think it's more about being able to have assets that are more flexible that can create interesting commercial models or interesting collaborations or interesting interoperability that we didn't have before because the type you know, the developers or the publishers just thought in monolithic titles,
1: right? Yep.
0: Like FIFA 22, FIFA 21, FIFA 20, yeah. you know, start again, you know, buy pay again, all your money at the beginning again, of the season buy. and off yep. you go.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Um,
0: so, so how are you thinking about a roadmap then? Because I, I've listened to some of your AMAs. I've listened to some of your, you know, Illuvium community specific stuff on YouTube, and you guys have got ideas on ideas on ideas, right? There's no shortage of great stuff. So for those people listening and you haven't heard those, how are you thinking about how Illuvium develops in future?
1: I think it's important to uh, mention that we're a DAO, right? Which is an, another concept where we don't, we don't really shy away from new concepts, right? And, and trying to cram everything, cool thing that we can think of into the basket of uh, of alluvium but being a a, a, DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization means that we're actually powered by the community right which is a pretty crazy thought right like so essentially the gamers the investors whatever you want to call our community they have the ability to steer the the direction of what of, of of where we go right which means uh gaming decisions so in in our case we had a very very clear roadmap that we wanted to deliver on and that was alluvium zero the idle clicker uh alluvium marina which was the auto battler and then alluvium overworld which was that creature capturer so all of those games are going to be interconnected they're going to to seamlessly be interoperable between each other but after that it's really up to the community and we do this in a super transparent way where we speak to them and we say this is what we recommend as the the co-founders and our our, you know aaron as the game designer this is this is where i think we should go but ultimately the power lies with the players which is another concept which has never ever been introduced to to gamers before you know you get into situations where developers will remove a character or they'll nerf a character and you're sitting there and you're like are you like you've just ruined the game for me and you have absolutely no say in it. It's the polar opposite with Alluvium. And so you mentioned a, uh, a cart racer style game. Absolutely. That's something that we definitely want to do in the future. We also would like to do a dungeon crawler, a tower defense game and eventually connect all of these games to make a MMO. Right. Like that's our our end end goal over the next 10, 15, 20 years is to make an MMO. And that I would say between the the three brothers, that's probably been the genre of gaming that we've spent the most amount of time on. And we've spent a lot of time gaming. So yeah, that's uh that's where we want to go. You make
0: another point there around the engagement between the the gamers themselves and the developer. You know, you usually again my experience of of playing games is they release a game, one of the tactics or one of you know one of the metas gets found out and everybody starts using it, and then the game developers like, oh, that that's ruining the game, or that's making it too difficult, or you know, suddenly somebody's figured out the exploit to be able to win all the time. We need to change it, and and that that's purely in the hands of the game developer because they're trying to to act on behalf of the community whereas in your case the community is acting with some of your input but ultimately you're accountable to them in terms of creating the things that they want to see or they want to use with their assets and which brings value to the token which brings value to the assets that they hold and you know as long as you keep that community engaged and those assets active that benefits you and the Illuvium team in the long term right
1: correct yeah we're Everything that we're doing, and I think everything that Web3 enables all of the good parts of, of Web3 and blockchain, it enables that power to shift from the publisher to the player. And if you look at every industry inside mainstream, right, like inside Web2, the, the minute that you do that, if you look at a, a, a model like Uber, right uber versus taxis the minute that you give that power back to the customer to the to the player whatever you want to define your audience as it's not going back right like that that shift is something that is is very very hard to to alter once it's been given to people and that's why i think that that verifiable ownership of your assets inside a game as soon as it happens in a game that you love right that that you really enjoy playing fundamentally first and then you know what comes after that is you know potential earnings and stuff like that but if you if you have that ownership you're never going to go back and that's why we feel so strongly about this it's just, it takes a while to, to make games, right? It, it, to, to make good games. And so, you know, that's, uh, that's where we're at. And that's why we're so adamant that this is a, a, a new frontier of gaming. And, you know, every decade or so, this is what happens inside this industry. And I think, you know, the writing's on the wall.
0: I love also that you had a roadmap that has 20 years on it, or that at least you're, you're kind of thinking about this at that point. You know, this is not a, a pump and dump or this is not somebody say, right, I'm going to launch a game. I'm going to pump the token. I'm going to sell a bunch of it off, which is another challenge of token based games, by the way, is that the the economic model of you being able to take out revenue from tokens and convert it to fiat versus um you know dumping dumping on retail there's a massive tension there right you really want to be able to take money out to be able to support the game or to be able to fund investment or whatever else it is but the second you dump a bunch of tokens on the market the token value then as a result drops and then the speculative element of that has has a has a kind of downside and then people start thinking oh is this game going to succeed what's going on here i mean you can be transparent about it you can say actually you know what? we're going to vest a bunch of tokens here because we want to yeah, invest in the roadmap and so on, but for for the less educated, or the less engaged, or those outside the DAO, yeah. that that can be a real problem. So you mentioned interoperable blockchain games, and I'd love to take a minute to to kind of dwell on that for a second because I think there are levels to this. You know, a, a lot of the early NFT based games that we saw were standalone, you know, walled garden marketplace. Yes, theoretically, you get to own the token or own the asset or own you know the, the item but you have to have their white label wallet. You can only sell it in their marketplace. And at which point I'm like, where's, where's the interoperability here? Where's, where's the web three open and permissionless part of this? Essentially, all you're really doing is creating the same concept of a server and a login, but just with a blockchain <coughs> behind it. You, you, you've, you've achieved nothing <laughs> except, except some hype and creating a token that no one's ever gonna want again. But we're, we're a little bit further down the road than that now, fortunately. And I think some of the early pushback on NFT gaming and, D- and GameFi specifically probably comes from those representations of what we think it could be, which, which unfortunately hasn't helped us. It feels like in Web3, whenever we come out with something new, we always kind of get it wrong in the first six months and everyone thinks it's stupid and cancels it. And then six months later, we come out with a second iteration. and Then people kind of, oh, okay, maybe maybe we'll allow this now. Maybe it's okay. Um, but but give me give me your take on interoperable blockchain games because it's it seems like for Illuvium you're starting with assets that can jump between multiple games in your universe on your chain. But does it go beyond that at some point?
1: I think at some point definitely, you know. But I, I as you just touched on, I think the the issue that we have inside of blockchain and uh, and crypto in general is that it's very new emerging tech and we see a lot of the time we we have founders and developers that see this 10 15 20 year end goal and they're so excited about it that they are they're pitching it at a such an early stage that it's not even close to possible and you find people that have been playing games building games for decades that go well that is simply ridiculous and therefore I'm going to dismiss all parts of blockchain and NFTs and and how they can enable uh you know a better experience inside of gaming and I don't blame them right like I when I first when I first looked at Axie back three years ago now whenever it was I wasn't impressed by the gaming right like i was impressed by nfts but if i wasn't genuinely tr- looking and trying to find something that i could do inside the space then i would have just looked at and gone this is one of the worst games i've ever seen right like th- we're, we're not going back to early 2000s here right? like what is this but I just would have dismissed it like everyone else, you know, and then you've got people that are sitting there and, you know, the, the marketing push there was, this is a new Pokemon S game. And I was like, excuse me. Like I've played Pokemon all my life. Every single time a new Pokemon comes out, I'm playing it. And that is not a Pokemon S game, right? Like we're, we're in 2020 here. Right. Like, so uh, you know, I think that's where we go wrong, and <clears throat> it's the same with this narrative of NFTs are magical, and it enables you to <clears throat> be playing your Fortnite character, and then all of a sudden you can, you know, morph that into a a, a totally different platform and and uh, standard, and now you're playing call of duty or even worse than that now you're playing a racing game need for speed and it's like that's not where we're at and obviously you know do do we get to that ready player one vision of full interoperability between all games maybe in 20 30 years but It requires so much development, so much collaboration, so much coordination between publishers that it's, it's not even close to, so we take the, the approach of don't even talk about that because it's not close to being true. What is true and what is possible right now is inside of your gated universe is the ability for you to control the standards the graphics the requirements of all of your assets so you can go in between different games and that's why we're building this uh this alluvium universe which is completely interoperable and you have the ability to take one asset into the other is because we're the same developer we're the same publisher that is creating all of these assets so I would say that's what an IBG is and that's what it's probably going to stay as for, I would say the next 10 to 20 years, but that's okay. Right. Like that, that's what frustrates me. It's like, we don't need to sell this dystopian dream that isn't even close to being real to retail investors, to players that know that it's just, it's it's not even close to true right like we need to to be more realistic with what we're saying is possible inside of crypto and nfts and web3 and that's how we'll start to to garner the attention of audiences that are right now saying you know what you just you're just talking absolute garbage we need to bring that back and say it's a little bit better. Your experience is going to be a, a, a bit better than what you're used to, but it's not going to be some crazy thing that's going to change your life and you're going to start making millions of dollars from playing a video game.
0: I want to pause and reflect on that because you said some very, very important and frankly, slightly shocking things around the direction of travel for Web3 Gaming. And I want to kind of unpick it a little bit because to me, the idea of interoperable, has always been about cross chain around assets that can be recognized, liquidity that can move. And in gaming, you'd like to believe that the same direction is possible, but what what you've identified or what you've explained there is that the, de- the development cycle for games is long. It's already really hard to build a game by itself. What you've then done is say, well, okay, well I'm going to build a game, but I'm gonna have cont- continuity of assets or continuity of characters. And at least within the world that I can control as a publisher with multiple titles, I'm the Web3 version of EA, you know, I can have skins, characters, assets that can move from football to American football to baseball to whatever else, and, and will allow you to have more of a, an expansive experience within my publisher universe, which is already a good start. Um, what I wanted to put together as a theoretical, and, and this, this is interesting because that we've got a kind of parallel community in, in Polkadot and Kusama um, called Moonsama. And Moonsama community are doing something similar insofar as you've got um, specific NFTs that allow you access to to play in games. If you don't have the NFT, you don't get to play in the game, game environment, token gated to start with. Different NFTs have different levels of buffs at the same time. So if you have an Exosama, if you have a Moonsama, you get different levels of buffs when you play the Carnage event every Sunday, basically battle Royale style mixed with Minecraft. It's super fun. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's
1: no, I'm, the, never, I'm like, how do I get one of these NFTs?
0: We'll, we'll, we'll hook you up. Donnie big bags. Who's who's the grand master of Moonsama, We'll get him <laughs> over to you. We'll, we'll hook it up. We'll make it happen. We'll, awesome. we'll lend you a moon for the weekend and you can come and drop into carnage. It will be, you will have a blast. It's, it's, um, it's nuts. It's a ton of fun. And a lot of the, the story behind it then is the nfts that you have the some of the nfts that you can then equip to those nfts so we had a, a collaboration with public pressure they are a music producer media house and so you get pods if airpods or yeah. uh, sort of earphones that you can equip to your character gives you extra buffs in game as well seriously seriously op increases your mining speed increases your resistance in battles and all of this sort of stuff, right? And these are NFTs that can equip on top of it. You can then take that character and then you can go and play in a fishing game, right? Or you can then go and play around in the metaverse. And if you've got the pods on, it'll play music to you in the metaverse at the same time. Early stages, but you've got two or three environments. And these are NFTs that exist on, on Moonbeam. They exist on Ethereum. And so you've got a little bit of cross-chain going on. You've got equipable NFTs that can level up parallel. I think, or at least comparable to what you guys are trying to do in Illuvium, which is, which is super interesting. My theoretical here is what if the Illuvium community are like, well, we kind of like, we've, we've, we've looked at, you. Yeah, we saw, we saw you on video with Donnie battling out in Carnage. We want to see a collabo across, across collabo. If we can use our Illuvium NFTs in Moonsama, if we can allow those to be ac- accepted into Carnage, if the DAO voted, for one of those sorts of collabos, could it theoretically go on the roadmap because the community loved the idea or because it would bring in, you know, 10,000 players from over here as as Illuvian players. And then the Illuvian players could also go over and and play out in Moonsama. Could you see that happening within that, you know, earlier than that 10 year cycle or do you still think that's still a lot of dev time?
1: Yes, right. So, but not in the way that I think nfts get pitched a lot of the time right like our standard in terms of uh like can we create a can can the nfts that we have be the access into the asana world absolutely right like it 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 definitely can be but it's just access at that point you've got to look at i need to know, you know, what platform are you using? Is it Unreal? Are you using Unity? Are you using some kind of WebGL? Like what what standards do you guys have? What level of graphics do you guys have? And what I think we would do at this point in time is we would say, okay, give us that information and either we'll build a character or an NFT that fits that standard and essentially that's your your alluvium character is your nft to morph it into that other nft and so you get this like halfway interoperability and we've already done that with uh, with a bunch of uh, of other ips there was a, a a similar sort of battle royale game that had i think like 14 different ips that you could take your character and you could bring it into their universe but again we had to build out the character the different graphics to their standards and it wasn't the exact same thing as i'm just going to port my nft into this new game because there are those differences now we're a triple a game right it's we're we're super high quality assets our graphics uh very particular and uh and so is it 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 becomes much harder and that's why i say going from what gamers are used to in the mainstream and saying hey you can go from one triple a game to another that is that concept where i'm saying that's probably you know 10 15 20 years away building out a universe you don't even need nfts right like to to be able to do it but building out a uh, a universe inside of gaming where you uh have low standard of graphics and uh and and a whole bunch of coordination between publishers early on where they're trying to as you mentioned that they're literally trying to build out this universe where they're saying we're going to make the exact same quality and standard of assets all together all 15 publishers that is possible but that level of coordination i still think is a long 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 way away but in terms of collabs and stuff with uh with us and asana is that possible absolutely 100 percent
0: and that's really important. I mean, what you've outlined there. This is not a blockchain interoperability problem in isolation, right? This is not saying we have we have a challenge between EVM tokens and uh, Polkadot, or, or or any other blockchain one to another. We can do token swaps. We can do bridging if we need to. It's bigger than that. It's more fun. It's more significant than that. You've already well at the base you've got token standards, but on top of that, then you've actually got rendering and character development and so on and so forth which again is not impossible but it's all dev time and 100%. and does yeah. that does that end up with a better experience at the end of the day you know a lot of the the avatar propositions it's not that a lot of those avatars are going on chain it's that you have the token that represents your ownership of the avatar and the digital assets are being held in a centralized cloud yep. right? and 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 that's okay that's all right it's not perfect it's not fully decentralized but it's where we are at the moment and and as you said you know we'll do collabs if we think there's value for us if we think the community is supporting it or interested in it we're not just going to do it willy-nilly and those standards don't exist today and frankly one of one of the most painful hardest least rewarding and least funded activities in any industry web 3 or web 2 or anywhere is standards definition and standards development it is a thankless task it's Absolutely rubbish fun and nobody wants to do it. And everybody then usually then ends up adding just one more standard to the other 15 standards we already have to start with. And and, and they're like,
1: you, you can it's like walking. I mean, we don't have uh, an office, obviously. We're we're what I call a, a, a DAS, which is a decentralized autonomous studio, but it's it it would be the equivalent of me walking into a physical studio and just dropping a bomb in front of our developers and just watching it explode and then going what the hell just happened right like you (laughs) you, hey guys i've just signed this amazing collab you're gonna love it (laughs) it's like hey now we need to make our assets interoperable with 15 other games they would literally lose their minds and be like he's gone crazy i'm out of here right like and and again that's why it's so important to to really draw it back to realism and and what is actually possible at this time inside of web3 and not overpromise like let's let's really get down to the nitty-gritty of of this is a better experience but it's not so transformative that you've never seen it or heard of it before it's just augmenting your existing gaming experience and that's what's possible with uh ownership
0: nice i appreciate that and look thank you for tempering expectations because i think that's important too right we're not here for hype this show specifically is about objective fact-based analysis and for somebody whose job for, for a lot of the time is to get people excited about the game and the development and the roadmap and the stuff that you guys are working on i appreciate that you've actually managed to kind of step down a little bit from that and say look this is how it really is this is this you know we're doing great stuff here and you should be excited but at the same time the, the vision of web3 gaming and what GameFi will be at some point it's still got hairs on it I'd love to take a, a a breath and just talk about the last 12 months that we've had and what the impact has been on you guys right at some point you know the valuation of alluvium and the tokens you guys have had has been into the hundreds of billions and you know everybody else's expectations around funding and treasury and ecosystem development and all of this was was you know through the roof and then then we have a rough year right we have a number of scandals and crashes and macro conditions that haven't helped either and you know VC funding I I would say in some sectors restrict restricting to some extent, but actually we've also seen something in the order of $10 billion put into GameFi specifically in web three in the last 12 months, which is nuts to think how much investment is still going to the space for you guys at Illuvium. What has been the impact of the last 12 months of the market on your ability to kind of, continue building to grow an ecosystem to support development to support outreach marketing all of that how has it been for you guys specifically has it has it been plain sailing like you know we're good we've raised we're, we're out here or you know have, have there been any kind of kind of challenges or learnings for you guys in the last 12 months
1: at the end of the day look we're, we're still pre-launch We are we can't control market conditions and we don't ever try to or pretend to right like so it's not ideal you know when a lot of our core contributors are incentivized by the token price they're working really really hard to deliver the the best possible product and a output of that and a benefit is their tokens go up when that goes down and 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 particularly when it was at a level that uh, that it was, and then it goes down and they're sitting there saying, well, I'm still working as hard. We're we're in fact, not just building what we said we would, we're we're building multiple layers on top of that, that make it exponentially better. And yet you're taking my money away, right? Like what, (laughs) give me it back. Right. Like that's, that's sort of, where they're at, and obviously I'm being a little bit facetious there, and and the team isn't as uh, as worried as you would expect, but it does have an impact, right? And and how the material impact of that, I would say, to Alluvium, and the only material impact to that would be that we would ideally now that we have much uh, a, a, a much grander vision. For what we want to build here, we would like more funding ourselves, and we're kind of sitting in this zone where it's like, okay, we're still valued at half a billion dollars. Which, when you look at it from the perspective of, okay, well, they're ninety-five percent down. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of uh, room to move there up. Lot of upside in that it's still half a billion dollars there are plenty of studios out there that create really good games that have players that have revenues that aren't valued at half a billion dollars and so i get where it uh it, it leaves us and so uh the impact of that has been it's extremely hard for us to raise money it's not like we're we can sit there promising hey we're going to be the next thousand x like we were when we were valued at a dollar that's sort of gone now whereas I, I think in a when when market conditions are better and we're in what we call a bull market people think yeah at, at a half a billion valuation maybe they can do a 1000 x which is you know absurd <laughs> but that's sort of uh that's that's sort of the impact, and so for us, we still have plenty of runway. we are just about to start switching on a whole bunch of revenue streams, and so we're we're not worried it doesn't actually affect us, but I would say it would be a nice to have for us to have raised money prior to uh, the market crash, so we could sit there and go. Yes, we do have a 20 year vision, but not only do we have that 20 year vision, we've got 20 years of funding to uh, to deliver on that vision. So that would be the only thing. And then, you know, the I guess the emotional side of it, it does have an impact. But our, our team are exceptional at just going, you know what? It is what it is. We got to keep on pushing on. We got to keep on working hard. At the end of the day, this is they, they see this vision that the founders have. And I think that really allows them to stay uh, on track to, to deliver what we think is going to literally change, not just gaming, but potentially the world. Right. Like that sort of magnitude is what brings them to do their 12 hour days every single day. And uh, and so, yeah, it's 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 not ideal. But at the same time, we've got we're we're laser focused on where we need to go. And uh, our entire team believes that we're going to uh, achieve our goals.
0: And I think when you've got great product, and when you've got people using that product and when you're confident in your ability, that kind of the, how you look at the market, I mean, you only get wrecked if you sell, right? I, obviously at some point, you know, raising money and, and having enough to pay salaries is, is a thing, but at the same time, market conditions are temporary. It, it could be six months from now. It could be 12 months from now where that valuation changes, the ability to raise changes, the interest in Web3 gaming, the at number of active wallets, number of active participants, et cetera, the, the deals and collabos that you can do flips overnight just because the sentiment is suddenly more inverted commas bullish. Yeah. Um, and, and if we take that out, right, because I think that the speculative side of cryptocurrencies and investors and so on is actually a, to some extent a hindrance to the building of great businesses and great products that, that make use of decentralized technology. I I still see in various different news channels, people saying, you know, the, the problem with crypto or the problem with the crypto industry or the crypto market is like, this is not a crypto market. This is web three. This is the decentralized internet. This is building applications and products using decentralized technology. It's not crypto. I see it as a much, much bigger, much broader set of infrastructure and applications and products and services. And components of of a stack that all fit together to build something that feels and and looks a little bit like what we have now, but with slightly different economics or slightly different mechanics or slightly different, um, I guess, demand and supply drivers or or different people benefit from architecting in the way we have. Um, (laughs) It's not just the market that dictates what we do. So we've already talked a little bit about standards. What do you see as if you could, if you could wave a magic wand or, or however you do it. Um, what more do you think is needed to help scale adoption, usage, maturity of Web3 gaming? How do we take that 20-year horizon and compress it down?
1: So as you touched on, the first thing we need to do is we need to remove the crypto element, right? It needs to be a layer that sits underneath the experience of what gamers are used to. And the trouble that you have there is, and and I think the reason why there's this negative connotation to, uh, to Web3 gaming in general is that it takes a very long time to build good games. And I think we need to get to the stage where we've got multiple titles that are all the same quality where you can call up your friend and say, hey, I'm playing this game that's exactly like Call of Duty, except... I just earned this skin and I just sold it on a, on a marketplace. And they're like, what do you, what do you mean? And they're sitting there and they're like, I, I played the game for 10 hours. It's the most amazing game. You're going to love it. It's exactly like call of duty. It's an FPS, like of epic proportions, but the weirdest thing just happened. I went onto the marketplace and instead of it being like in game dollars, I got, ethereum back and ethereum as you know we've spoken about this like three four years ago that has a value and it's actually much higher than what it was back then and i just made 30 bucks playing you know that that type of situation is where someone doesn't even realize that they're playing a blockchain game they they don't realize until they get to the point where they do hit the marketplace or they do see inside uh, of their account that they have all of these assets and offers start coming through and stuff like that where it's, it's open, it's decentralized, and it's, uh, it's, it's actually it's, it's something that the developers are saying to you, go and do. Right, they're imploring you to to go and uh, and and test out the marketplace. It's just something that is completely different to uh, to what gamers are used to. But fundamentally, that person needs to be onboarded without thinking, "Oh, this is going to change your life. You're going to make millions of dollars." And here's NFTs and crypto and blockchain. It's they don't care. Right. In Web three gaming, it might be a little bit different with uh, with DeFi and uh, and decentralized finance, but in terms of gaming, it's very very simple. We need to lower the barriers to entry. When Axie came out, it was nine hundred dollars US to enter that game, which is insane. There, you can't. You're not going to have a kid go up to their parents and say hey, I want to play this new Pokemon game. Can you give me $900 US? They're going to say, "What? what is our kid smoking, right? Like, what? Like, we need to stop this. But if you make it free to play and if there's uh, accessibility through app stores like they used to or through Steam or on the PlayStation 6 or whatever it might be, right? Like all of these different platforms that, that gamers are used to, and then the NFTs, the ownership, all of that sits underneath it at, a, at a, a, a layer that you don't even realize or see. That's how I think we get to, to mainstream adoption. But as well, you can't just hide that underneath mediocre games. They need to be of the same quality that mainstream is used to because otherwise you'll fall down there. Like It doesn't matter what tech or how much money or whatever gamers don't care about that they care about fundamentally fun first and then they'll look at oh okay there's these added benefits of blockchain it's just we don't have fun games yet but as soon as we do i assure you that gamers aren't going to go back and i think that's when we really scale web3 gaming and then not just web3 gaming there's this whole narrative of web three games have the potential to bring in our uh, our tam which is three billion people across the the globe then what do they do right if you start earning these different currencies and you didn't even realize it you're sitting there and you're like okay well now i got a wallet and they've made it really really easy for me it's like click this button and you can convert that into your own wallet that you have custody of now I'm sitting here and it's like, well, I just went on to Uniswap and that token is worth 80 bucks and they swap it into Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever it might be. That's when you adopt mainstream people into crypto. And that's when they start thinking about, well, maybe I'll bank this with Aave or any other DeFi application that's out there. And I think, uh, you know, like, all emerging technologies it's just going to take time uh but but i i honestly believe in this tech to the point where i've gone all in and so have my brothers you know i i I really believe it
0: that there's a lot in that right it's like normalize wallets lower the barriers to entry make gaming free to play Um, you know on top of that the financial education of how to manage whether you're being paid in crypto or dollars right you have a wallet and you have a responsibility to manage that it's in it's in some sort of cloud-based wallet somewhere it's not in your bank account the high street it's it's somewhere maybe it starts in eth or bitcoin or or whatever else it is and then he's like well well i live in australia how do i make this aussie dollars so i can go and buy a burger yeah and and there are custody solutions wallet providers um on and off ramps that can help do that we just haven't joined the dots yet, or we haven't created, or Apple hasn't created in the iPhone, or Android and Google haven't created in that phone, the way to link those wallets so that those cryptos suddenly become Aussie dollars. At the same time, the second we do that, your ability to then be anonymous or pseudonymous in the Web3 world disappears because suddenly Google now knows what you do with all your crypto. So uh, there's then also a financial and security and privacy education, which all of that We suddenly have to fit in into a world where our financial literacy is already crap
1: go back to when paypal came out right like if you can go back that far people have a very short memory but when paypal came out people were like i'm not putting my money into a digital like what with it's going into an organization i can't see it i can't actually walk into their offices and that was that transformation of going from a bank into an online storage of your money it's it's just another step and i think you know adoption is from my perspective it's so clear to me but like all emerging tech it's gonna take time And we need really, really good narratives. And we need really good products and services in order to convince people that, hey, you can trust this new technology. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll get there over time, 100%.
0: Love that. And the PayPal reference, I think, is a super good one, actually, because that was a game changer for e-commerce. If we can create the same login with password, easy to use on off ramp, so you can exist in crypto or non-crypto, or you can manage staking or yield farming in the app you know do i want to get 15 percent and lock it up for for a month or do i want to just withdraw it now so i can go spend it on something that's that's probably going to normalize over time but we haven't got that one big player or that one easy to use interface the reason it was paypal is because it was so heavily linked to ebay yeah maybe whoever you guys choose as you're on off ramp and with alluvium you guys you guys make the market because you're used and played by everybody, and so whoever it is, I'm not going to drop names because I'm not I'm not sponsored, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and 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 nor will I be. But I, I you know I don't want to I don't want to shout out the guys who could be there. But mm-hmm. who's the Web three PayPal? And maybe it's Illuvium that, that, that that's the the team that, that helps to normalize that in the same way eBay did with PayPal. That's a it's a really good analogy. I'm conscious we're at the hour, and I there are a couple of questions from the audience. Do you still have a few minutes for a couple of questions for a bit of Q and A?
1: Yeah, of course. No worries. Um,
0: I appreciate that because guys guys have stayed up late in Europe um, or at the end of their days on a Friday in the US or they're just waking up in Oz or Asia Pacific to, to us talking about gaming and the future of Web3. Uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. And genuinely, I'm, I'm really grateful for, for you having taken the time because I feel like a lot of the things that I was observing or things that I was curious about, you've either validated or completely changed my mind on, which was fascinating. Um, here's, here's an interesting one we'll start with um from 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 Arman here. A uh, concept around what's your opinion around metaverse lands? Now, I, I know that land is a concept in alluvium, right? Um for those people who don't know, give us an give us a kind of an overview of, of why land is a thing in alluvium and, and why is it important.
1: So land in alluvium has uh utility and uh, more importantly agency over uh the economy. It's where it all starts. So In order for you to go and do uh, different things inside of the overworld and the auto battler and any other game that we create uh, after these titles, you need fuel. And the only way for you to get fuel is through owning land. So we take the the idle clicker genre and we bolt onto it. This real world economy where you're extracting you're you're building up your city, and you're trying to optimize it in the best way that you can to extract the most amount of fuel. And then you want to sell that fuel, or use it yourself inside of the overworld. But uh, I think a lot of people use the alluvium the, uh, zero or will use alluvium zero as a investment tool. And so they'll They'll invest in in purchasing a land plot and think of it like a uh, a mine, for example, right? You buy that mine, people want the minerals that you extract out of that mine, you go and sell them, and there's supply and demand there. If all of a sudden, people don't want the minerals that that you're extracting out of there and they want a different type of mineral, you might not have that on on your land plot. So you go, okay, now I need to buy a different land plot. And so we have three different minerals or or fuels that power all of these games. And, uh, and it's uh, the way that you control the the pricing inside the game. So for example, if uh, Solons, which are used for travel, if the landowners who are extracting these solons from their plots decide that, hey, we're not going to sell them to the pool that we've created. The price of travel is going to go up because it's very scarce resource. And so you get uh, you get this increase in the price. And then people are like, oh, my God, the price of travel has gone up so much. And then on the other side, you've got the landowners who are like, "Okay, well now I'm getting a premium for selling my solons." And at some point, someone breaks and goes, "You know what? I'm not holding them off anymore. I'm going to sell them." Then there's a mad rush. Everyone starts selling solons into the pool. Then the price goes down. So instead of traveling costing you a dollar, all of a sudden it costs a dollar twenty-five or there's a massive influx of that resource now. So it goes down to 75 cents. And so you get this real world economy that sits above the entire alluvium universe. And that's the utility and the agency that you have of owning land inside of our universe. Where I think a lot of people fall down and I think my opinion on it, if I'm directly answering arman is a lot of the time people will create land and it's this give us money now and we'll build it later concept which doesn't sit well with me and uh, and i think that's shared by a lot of people you need to have utility first of all you need to have a product right which we sold our land six months ago and we only just released Alluvium Zero, which I hated. We we had a product, it was going to be much smaller and we are just going to sell our land and then say, you can play it six weeks later, which I think is okay. But we ended up delaying it and it ended up being six months and people were sitting there like, you sold NFTs and you said you would never do that unless you had a product. And I get that, right? And that's the problem with what a lot of people inside of the metaverse are doing with land, that's what we need to get away from. But then additionally to that, it's like, why am I buying this land? Yes, it's there's only ten thousand or a hundred thousand or whatever, and it's scarce. but what does it do? You need to have a really, really good reason to to sell that land. And I think you know Aaron sat there for I said to him one day, I said, we need to sell land, right Like we just got to do it. And he was like, what? No, like, we're not doing that. We we're already building a ridiculous amount of, uh, of, of gaming experiences. And now you're coming to me and you're saying we need to sell land. Like we just no, we're just not doing it. And then I was like, honestly, trust me, we got to do it. And he sat there for a couple of weeks, dedicating all of his time to that. And then over a three, four month period, we developed this or he developed this really, really intricate, awesome idea of how to utilize land inside of our universe. And I think that is a miss with a lot of organizations that just come out and say, hey, we're selling land and I promise you, we'll come up with a concept, we'll come up with utility, and we'll come up with a game at some stage.
0: Land as a fundraising mechanism It is a thing, I think. it it can be legitimate providing you are providing a return on that investment within a time period you've got other challenges around you know absentee landlords and all sorts of other stuff that we won't get into because we haven't got time and all sorts of different mechanisms that you can start taxing absentee landlords and there's kind of you know analogies for buying up you know all of the apartments on the bulgarian coast and people deserting and having ghost towns and stuff like this and it's you know it's, it's deeply sad in the real world it's 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 equally sad in the metaverse because mm. you know if you're trying to create communities which is which is what you know, metaverse lands and web three is about you're trying to create engaging experiences with people actually interacting and doing stuff if all you've got is this kind of ghost town of people holding nfts and doing nothing what's the point right but for you it's more inherently linked to the game which i think again it, it, it kind of makes sense and the long-suffering aaron has, has has pulled a blinder and you know has, has come clutch at the end of the day and actually created something that that kind of works and it does have some sort of inherent utility which makes sense I wanna ask the, the, the second to last question here is one from TJ. Um, I, I've seen your backdrop. We're not actually, this is, you're not in the, the, the trading den today or in the alluvium den today where no. you've got the screens behind you and the, you know, the, the charts and so on, which, which, is, which is kind of ironic because that's specifically the question that TJ is asking here um, is, is how do you track and analyze performance of, of your game across different platforms or devices or what m- maybe a, a, a more high level question is how do you track Performance of Illuvium, right? What do you look for? How do you how do you identify whether your ecosystem is is healthy or, or that you're achieving the goals you want to achieve with the game?
1: So I, I, I think it boils down to what every game should uh the, the should look at. And the main metric is active players, right? Like how many active players do you have? Obviously, it it spans a little bit further than that with us given that we are a blockchain game and that we do have a token. And so token holders, uh, the the land holders that we have, the uh, daily trading volume, all of these sort of metrics are what form the narrative of, of where we think we're going. But at the end of the day, all of the other metrics around our token price our volume all our land prices our nft prices in general all of it is going to be dictated by how many players that we have and that's daily active users monthly active users and so they are the metrics we know that if we get that right then we'll slowly and and it might be the case that 99% 99% of our daily active users are just playing the game in a free-to-play format, and they love doing that. And that's totally fine because we know that slowly that that adoption process that I was talking about, where you get people to to go, oh, okay, now these these uh, free assets that I've earned, someone actually doesn't want to sit here grinding for the next 20 hours. They're willing to pay me two bucks for those assets. They go and sell them and then they're like, I actually have real money here. You slowly start getting the 99% to get down to that being 90% and then 80%. And then all of a sudden you've got this, uh, this, this large market inside of your game that have slowly been adopted, but slowly start inputting money into the economy. Then all of those other metrics will work themselves out. And, uh, and yeah, that's the, that's what we focus on.
0: Nice. That's, I think it's also a really important lesson there is, you know, what are the metrics that really matter and which ones do you drive? Because you can microanalyze everything. And, and I've spoken to other game developers who freak out about the idea of an open economy Right. Traditionally, in, in gaming economies, you know, you c- control the metrics, the drop rates, the you, you know, you can also tweak those things a little bit without gamers noticing. So you don't end up with people completing levels too quickly or people losing interest. But but that's micromanagement of an ecosystem. As soon as you have an open economy where you've got assets that might become more important in your karting style or skins that become more popular or whatever else it is, the open world of social media and, and web three is going to dictate that there's nothing you can do about it. And and you're almost being held hostage as a game developer to what is trendy or interesting or what the community or what the creators, you know, the YouTube creators, the Twitch streamers and so on around what you're creating hype up or make interesting for the rest of the community. It's not you as a game developer that necessarily drives that. So it's really interesting to hear that, that you guys don't over sweat at this point in time, the metrics. Um, it's quite refreshing to hear because guys can go to the nth degree on that stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to know. And I mean, to say that we don't sweat it is probably a little bit of a, of a stretch. You know, we, we've uh, we do have game economists, we do have game designers that sit there and go, okay, we need to work out, you know, what, what price is everything. But at the end of the day, utilizing the, the, the technology that we have and the tokenization of of things we can create a real world economy so right now in alluvium 0 the agency that land ho- uh, that landowners have on prices inside of you know travel fusing whatever it might be battling all of that kind of stuff is only 25% up and down We've got it on on rails and there's a mechanism, I'm not going to get into it, but there's a mechanism that allows us to to keep that pricing system on rails. But Aaron has made it very, very clear that he wants that at a stage to, he wants those rails to go where if there isn't that demand for certain things, then it's going to wildly fluctuate in-game prices. and the other side, if there's mass demand for one thing, you're going to get things that are going up and down, but it's ultimately dictated by a real world market and economy where it's, you've got buyers and sellers on the other side or, or sellers and players on the other side, whatever it might be. And, uh, and it's completely dictated by buy and demand, right? Like that, that is, you know, Super interesting.
0: And your, and your drop rates or whatever game mechanics you've, you've kind of predetermined as well to some extent because I think that was with Axie, that was a big part of the challenge is that they got the, the SLP drop. It just kind of you know, started going exponential and there was so much SLP out there that it became worthless. So that token was useless. <laughs> and then on the other hand, you, you know, had the, the, the second token that was, still remained valuable, that was kind of interesting. But overall, it just created way too much supply, not enough demand. Bear market conditions coming in and eventually just it, it all it all tanked. There are some lessons to be taken from that, but the kind of the fully decentralized marketplace, I, th- I think that's definitely got to be the direction of travel. But at the same time, as game developers, you're, you're conscious that that's going to be an issue. We've got to create meaningful demand, meaningful uses for the assets. You've got to drive people to the game. We've got to create new branches of this game that people are going to want to play because they might get bored of some of the other ones and and that's on you right that's on you forever
1: yeah in perpetuity <laughs>
0: um, well look kieran i'm really grateful you took the time to hang out with us today thank you so much for sharing completely unfiltered and also family friendly i've i've seen you know a few more f bombs than some of the other shows you do on youtube so thank you for keeping it family friendly today on youtube on on linkedin i wasn't
1: uh, yeah i wasn't <laughs> sure how uh, how linkedin <laughs> works, but I, I would i would keep it uh, pg
0: Oh, this this has been a PG conversation. I, I was a little bit nervous at the start of it, um, but I, I appreciate you've you've kept it family friendly for the LinkedIn audience. Thank you for for no anticipating worries. that ahead of time. Before we go, just you know, for people if they haven't seen Illuvian before, how can they find out about the game? How can they find more about what you're doing? What can they be excited about in the next you know few days, weeks and months?
1: Yeah, so we just released the alpha of Alluvium Zero, which was the, the land-based game that I was talking about. Join the Discord, right? Like, So I, t- I touched on this earlier. There's sort of no other world where, or product or service where you can literally pick up the phone and call the CEO or a director or the chairman or whatever it might be. Inside of our Discord, I'm one DM away. And I, there, isn't, I, there, there might be ridiculous things that people send to me or whatever, but myself, my brothers, they're, they're always answering DMs and you get this level of transparency where you can really find out, hey, what is this game about? We've got 20 plus mods in there that, uh, that manage the community and that's where it all starts. And there's 200,000 people that, uh, that are in there. Definitely. That's, that's what I would say. Join, join the discord. Obviously, you know, follow us on Twitter. We're extremely transparent with everything that we're building. And uh, at the very least it's uh, it's going to be a fascinating experience seeing how transparent web three is in, in terms of game development versus the closed door stealth mode that that almost every other game uh, approaches things
0: well thank you so much for joining us kieran i know it's it's actually you know early morning on the weekend for you so we'll let you get out to your oh, your sydney brunch or a burger or whatever it is you're going to get onto thank you so much for demystifying some of the dark arts of web3 gaming quashing some of the ideas of what interoperability really means and for sharing some time with us today so thank you so much again have a great rest of your weekend and stay safe out there
1: Thanks for having me. Cheers.
0: Thanks again for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. As always, opinions in this episode are mine and those of my guests alone. If you want to find out more, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out some of the other episodes on the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast and check out the YouTube channel, also called Blockchain Won't Save the World. Stay safe out there.